Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again today on the program, and I trust that you have been tuning in every week as we continue to unravel, uh, you know, I believe a subject that can be very divisive. We really, let me just say to you, we really are not trying to, uh, you know, poke the bear, so to speak, or make anybody angry. We just simply are truth seekers. And, uh, you know, having grown up in classical Pentecost, uh, I grew up having been taught uh, dispensational, uh, uh, premillennial uh, eschatology. Uh, I, I didn't know, uh, as I began to study the Word of God, things just didn't click for me. And so the things that I've discovered begin to be my question of the truth. And so, uh, you know, if you're not willing to relinquish yours, I, I, I'm not trying to talk you out of what you believe, except to say consider the possibilities that there may be something more that you need to hear concerning these things. To me, uh, it, preaches, it, it preaches and declares God to be a whole lot bigger than we have because we have said things like, uh, I've read the last chapter of the book and we win, except the way they preach it, we don't win. Uh, but I believe God is a great big God. I believe the devil's defeated. I believe that the earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. And I believe the church is a great vehicle that God wants to use in this hour to bring about His purpose in the earth. But I believe that much of what we believe about end times and last days are not in our future. They were dealing with, if you can just read these scriptures even on your own time, when you're going through the scriptures and you're reading things and you're reading some of this uh, uh, stuff in Matthew 24, especially in uh, you know, Mark's gospel and the synoptic gospels where Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, just consider the possibility that he's sitting there talking to that generation of people and that the things that he was saying was relevant to that generation and that the things he said concerning the last days and the end of the world, which is really not the end of a global situation, it is the Greek word eon or age, it was the end of the age of the law. I believe it will help greatly for those of you who understand the message of grace to understand the eschatology of grace, because if we do not understand that the last days that the Scripture was talking about was the last days of biblical Judaism and the last days of an old covenant, we will continue to bring mixture into the new covenant, and we will continue to try to bring old covenant Scriptures that have already been fulfilled and make them fit into a new covenant paradigm, and they just simply do not fit there. Let me say to you again, though, that, uh, you know, that there's impossible in 30-minute segment, really about 27 minutes with our intros and exits of a program like this, to really be able to unravel everything. So for your convenience, you can go back to our YouTube page. Uh, and on YouTube, everything we've aired to date is available to you to watch again and again and again. So if you missed today's program, you said, oh, there's something on there that I'd like to hear again, you can go back there and watch it. Also, TBN keeps us archived on their webpage, I think, for a little while. So you can go back there and watch it again and get it. Also, you can sign up for our podcast on iTunes and have the audio of these programs delivered straight to your iPhone or to your device so that you can listen to the audio over and over and over again. But again, audience relevance is what I believe we have to really point at as we look at these scriptures and see uh, how they seemingly fit. It would be as if, and I said this on my last program, but I'm going to say it again, it is as if I sat here today, and if I sat here today and I said to you, 
Folks, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights because the Bible says it is. That the world is about to come to an end with a flood because the Bible says it is. That God told us to build a boat to the saving of our house because that's in the scripture. And that the animals are going to line up two by two and uh, you know, and, and if I preached that to you, you would probably call in or you would look, just flip the channel and say, this guy is crazy. Uh, he believes that, uh, he believes that uh, there's coming a flood when that clearly was relevant to Noah's day. Well, I submit to you that Matthew 24 and much of what we preach about the end time is very much as audience relevant as, as was Noah in the day when God spoke to him. God was talking to Noah and God was talking to that generation. Also in Matthew 24 and in Luke's gospel and in Mark's gospel and all the places where he gave the Olivet Discourse, he limits that time text to several things. Number one, he limits it to uh, uh, this generation will not pass away to all these things are fulfilled. The audience that was standing there, there are some of you standing here, Jesus would say, that will not taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's no way to twist that out of the context of it. So a whole lot of the catastrophes that you see there and in the book of Revelation are not futuristic. They are for that time generation. Jesus tells them in Revelation 1, these things are about to shortly come to pass. They which pierced me will look upon me. Uh, you, know, you know, just the common sense would say to me, uh, you know, if these things are for some future 2,000 years in our advance, then why are these battles being fought with swords and horses? I mean, red flags are something ought to go off in your common sense to say, uh, we're not fighting battles now with horses and swords and spears and cannons and all the things that you see, uh, you know, being talked about in the book of Revelation. We would be fighting with missiles and with drones and with tanks and all these other things. Somebody said, well, you know, John uh, didn't understand what a tank looked like. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but he didn't know what a horse looked like. And for crying out loud, a lot of these things are not in your future, they're in your past. Even the things, I look at the, the hype right now, even concerning things about uh, the imminent return of Jesus, and to them, even the way they preach it does not fit with the paradigm, because first of all, there is not a temple in the Middle East uh, that's been restored, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, if that temple is not restored for a man of sin to come and sit in, then how can these things be that imminent upon us right now? So what they have to do to rebuild their theology is they have to kind of re- uh, you know, kind of rebuild everything to bring it back to animal sacrifice and to bring it back to how it was uh, during the days when Jesus said these things would come to pass. I submit to you, we don't have to rebuild any of those things because that's not in our future. That is in our past. I get concerned even as I watch some of uh, uh, the different ones. And I, like I say, I respect these men. I believe they are godly men. I believe that they love Jesus as much as I do. And one of us is wrong about our eschatology. It could be me. It could be them. All I'm simply saying is, is that, uh, you know, you will turn on your television set and one of them will be telling you, we need to get the Jews to go back to their homeland, uh, you know, because Jesus can return. And then I, my question is, how many of them have to go? Who all has 
to go, and uh, you know, and uh, at, at what point do we have the exact number? Second thing is, if I was a Jew and I was sitting there watching these guys trying to get me to go back to my homeland so that there can come a battle of Armageddon, the, you know, it was amazing to me. I watched the other day and I saw one guy saying, you know, Jesus is trying to get them to come back to their homeland, or we, you know, God's trying to restore them back to their homeland. And then the very, the very next guy comes on and says, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you better get out of Judea. You better flee to the mountains. And I'm thinking, look, either we are coming back or we need to get out. Which is it? And if I was a Jew sitting there watching that, I'd say, I sure am not going back to, to uh, you know, Jerusalem so that once I get back there, there's going to be catastrophes and, and judgments that are incredible. Uh, to me, those things just are uh, so time relevant to the first century church and the generation that Jesus talked to uh, that it just doesn't fit. Uh, to me, it makes so much more sense to look at it in the time sense that it is. Now, let me make some, uh, some comparisons. Let me go back and read to you from uh, the sixth chapter of Revelation and compare that with Matthew 24 and with Mark 13 and with Luke 21. It says, I saw when the Lamb had opened this, one of the seals, what are the four beasts saying, come and see? And I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard a second beast say, come and see, and there went out another horse that was red, power was given him that sat on thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see, and behold, lo, a, a black horse, he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the, the, the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he'd opened the sixth seal, though the, there was a great earthquake, sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became as blood, the stars fell, the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Every mountain island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chiefs, and the captains, and the mighty men, and every bottom, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks, and in the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? Now, what you see in the book of Revelation, chapter number six, is you see uh, uh, several things that are happening. Number one, there's war. Uh, number two, there's international strife. Number three, you see famines. Number four, you see pestilence. And number five, persecutions. And uh, number six, you're going to see great earthquakes. Now, if you will compare that 
to Matthew, the 24th chapter, uh, the prophecy, Jesus' most uh, dramatic prophecy. And Matthew chapter 24, again, he was talking to them standing there in front of the beautiful buildings of the temple. And he tells them not one stone is going to be left upon another. He's standing there giving the great Olivet Discourse. And he says to them, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many will come in my name and say, I'm Christ, shall deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So you see in the book of Revelation that there was wars and rumors of wars. That, uh, I mean, there was just constant wars and rumors of wars. And you see even up until uh, Titus and um, those guys would seize Jerusalem, that there was, that, that there was uh, great wars and, and uh, uh, a season when there was rumors of wars. He said, see that you be not troubled, uh, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not quite yet. So as long as there are wars and rumors of wars leading up to that, the end has not yet fully come. Then nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines. So one of the next things you see in the book of Revelation is you see that there was famines, a measure of wheat for a penny and uh, three measures of barley. In other words, those things, uh, they were killed with famine with the beast of the earth. And uh, uh, in other words, what I'm showing you is that in every one of these, not only in Matthew, but in Mark 13, you will see consistently again, these same six things that Jesus prophesied would come to pass, but he limits them in Matthew 24 by saying, this will come upon this generation. And he said, then nation will rise against nation, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. I like what other translations say there. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Uh, you know, I, I can't help but think that what was happening was one creation was passing off of the scene and God was about to give birth to a whole nother one. Uh, you know, I could say things like this to you as well. I saw this the other day when I was reading in the book of Romans chapter 8 when the apostle Paul would talk about the sufferings. He said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And then he goes on to say, for creation itself will be brought into, it, 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 he said, all creation is groaning and travailing together until now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So there was birth pains and groaning that was taking place during this time period. And when the apostle Paul would say, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, because he goes on to say again that all creation is groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creation itself will be brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Now let me submit to you that that's not a scripture that gives us a basis to hang suffering on that's endless for people who somewhere are, uh, you know, in the future of that. What Paul was talking about is there is great suffering. You know, they were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were sawn asunder, they were, uh, you know, let down over the wall in baskets, they were constantly being threatened and beaten for preaching the gospel of grace and the gospel of the new covenant. Can you imagine what a paradigm shift this must have been in the, even in the 
thinking of the early, uh, you know, uh, Jews who were vehement about keeping the rules of an old covenant. And then you got a guy like the Apostle Paul come and tell them, man, you don't need to be circumcised anymore. You don't need to follow the laws of Moses. You've come into a brand new covenant and uh, that uh, circumcision is no longer relevant, but the answer of a good conscience and the circumcision is no longer in our flesh, but the circumcision is in our hearts. Can you imagine how that would just absolutely wreck the mind of that people in that time? I believe God is releasing some concepts just as radical and revolutionary in this hour uh, that's trying to get people to wake up a little bit more uh, even today as, you know, uh, we are, are, are waking people up to a brand new way of thinking about these things. But what I've seen people do over the years is take Romans 8 and just make an excuse for all kind of sufferings. I'll never forget, I used to have a friend one time and uh, this friend said to me, uh, you know, Brother Hassan, I was back in the 80s when the message of suffering was just absolutely dominant. And he said, Brother Haas, I don't believe I'm part of the elect. I said, well, man, why don't you think you're part of the elect? He said, well, I'm not suffering. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, I, I said, well, you know, to be honest with you, I'm really not suffering either like I see some of these other guys suffering. Of course, I am convinced that what you preach will manifest. If you preach on devils, demons will show up. If you preach on suffering, people will suffer. But if you preach faith and favor and deliverance and, and uh, you know, expectancy of good things, that's what will come. I'd rather preach the good news of the gospel and let you expect that and see that manifest in your life. But nevertheless, what Paul was talking about is that he was talking here in Romans 8 that we are under great persecution and we're under great suffering and we've been, you know, beaten and we've been mishandled and mistreated and we've done this because we know that if we can simply continue to hold our ground and preach the gospel, gospel, that not only will we be delivered, but the creation itself will be brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. See, one of the things that they were brought into was a glorious liberty. They were moving out from underneath of the tyranny of law, and they were moving under the uh, extravagance of grace. And Paul's saying, listen, what's worth being persecuted for? What's worth being suffered for is that this suffering is producing birth pains of a creation, uh, a whole new messianic rebirth of the world is about to come on the scene as this old one passes off of the scene. So all of these things that were coming to pass uh, that Jesus prophesied took place during that particular time. So there was wars and rumors of wars. There was international strife. There was famines. I could show you, you know, uh, different places uh, in, uh, uh, where a, a lot of the stuff was, was, was being fulfilled. He said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world and then the end will come. And uh, I, I went back and looked at, I just put some stuff in my scripture. I said, the following is the fulfillment of these prophecies. And Acts chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, it says, Then there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak, every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our tongue wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our 
own tongues the wonderful works of God. So there was a fulfillment of that. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I think, is probably one of the most powerful evidences that the gospel has been preached. Colossians 1, 23 says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, watch this, and which was ministered to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am a minister. That is the fulfillment of one of the criteria of Matthew 24, that the gospel must be preached in all the world. For a witness, Colossians 1, verse 4 through 6, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew of the grace of God. So that was fulfilled. That, that, that uh, one, of the, one of the signs of, of uh, building up to the last days was that the gospel would be preached. We just showed you that. There would come false Christ uh, in Matthew 24. And uh, it was in Acts chapter 8, it says, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorceries, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. That's one fulfillment. Uh, the, also the apostle John says this in 1 John chapter 2 in verse number 18. John says, little children, it is the last time. Man, that, you know, either John the apostle is wrong, and if he's wrong, what else is he wrong? But he said, little children, it is the last time. He said that 2,000 years ago, and he said, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby you know that it is the last time. That is in fulfillment of when Jesus said there will come false Christs. I mean, there was all kinds of guys during that period of time that rose up and said, I'm Christ, or here's Christ, or there's Christ. Uh, there was wars and rumors of wars. Of course, you know that the Jewish war that continued from 60, I believe it was 66 AD to 70 AD. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 29, it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dirt throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Jerusalem. So Agabus, uh, the prophet, or, or there stood up... Uh, uh, yeah, Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there was coming a great dearth and a great famine, uh, and that you could go back and find out where Paul took offerings several times from different places to ease the suffering of the Christians during the time of this famine. All of these were preludes that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 that clearly had a fulfillment in that first generation uh, people. In Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 26, it talks about earthquakes, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. So you see earthquakes and then you see signs in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, and you see that, you know, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and records this. He said, this is that 
which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he goes on to say, the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. Now I submit to you, as we've shared with you in previous segments again, that he's not talking about natural sun, moon, and stars. He's talking about, he's talking about prophetic language. He's talking about how in Genesis chapter 37, I believe it is, where the uh, prophecy uh, or the dream that Joseph had of the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him were fulfilled uh, in the person, uh, you know, or, uh, were fulfilled. In other words, what he was showing is that the sun, the moon, and the stars are a picture of natural Israel. Uh, you say, how do you see that? Because even Israel, his father, his father Israel knew that that was symbols that spoke of their family because he said, how shall I and thy mother and thy brethren bow down unto thee? Now, that was the signs that he was talking about in Acts chapter 2 when Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then also one of the things that you also would see if you look into the writings of Josephus, he records all kinds of signs in the heavens and he he literally records a, uh, a star in the shape of a sword that appeared over Jerusalem for a long period of time, as well as many of the signs in the heavens and uh, in the earth. And then you see also in Isaiah chapter 28, he talks about that the gift of tongues would be a sign to unbelieving Jews that with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, yet they will not hear me. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 21 through 23, tongues was a sign to unbelievers, but it was a sign to unbelieving Jews. It was a sign that the end was near. In other words, every sign that Jesus prophesied came to pass in the first century. Uh, the next thing he talks about is a great falling away. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it said, that This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Philegius and Homogenes. And so uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 10 through 16, there was also a great falling away. It's what Jesus prophesied about when uh, many were drawing back, uh, or Jesus would prophesy and say that, uh, you know, uh, they would, many would draw back and fall away. There would be a great falling away. And in the book of Hebrews, uh, the apostle Paul was dealing with Hebrews who were drawing back and going back to Jerusalem, or and not just Jerusalem, going back to Judaism. And he was saying to them, we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And uh, he talks about there would be increased lawlessness, and that's fulfilled in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. And so, uh, you know, it's just uh, uh, everything that Jesus prophesied of war, strife, famine, pestilence, persecution, earthquakes, all of those things would take place within the first century. And I've just showed you where every one of those that were preludes took place. Now, let me say to you what a lot of people do with that is tell you anytime you see all these signs happen, then you're going to know that that's the generation the end has come upon. Those signs fit perfectly within this generation of what Jesus called that terminal last day generation. I trust your understanding of this and getting this that you can see that it has been fulfilled. I hope that helps you make the shift. We're just about out of time. If you like what we're saying, if you appreciate what we're doing, 
please get behind us. We do need your help. We need partners. We need your support to be able to continue to take the gospel around the world. If you believe in us and you believe in what we're saying, don't wait on somebody else to do it. We need your help today. And we appreciate it when you call in. You can call and give via credit card. You can go to our website and give. You can uh, write to us with the number that will come up on the screen with the address and include your generous gift. It is what keeps us going. It's what takes the gospel around the world. Thank you for that and thank you for that support. God bless you. Tune in again next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ. 